Hey, Pac-12 sports fans, do you want to get killer seats to see your favorite team for the price of a beer or a large pizza? Are you tired of paying for all the inflated markups from brokers or last-minute convenience charges so you end up paying courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Go to onein100.co. That's onein100.co. Feeling lucky? Try it now. The novelty of 1 in 100 is that there's no place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events. It's a totally new way to score tickets to your favorite events and new way to see your favorite Pac-12 team. The cost of potentially scoring tickets with 1 in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than a cost of a beer. Your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. The experience of using 1 in 100, which is extremely fun and exciting, from picking your lucky number to the feeling of potentially scoring premium tickets, feeling lucky? Try 1in100.co. That's onein one zero zero dot C-O. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. It's going to be a week four recap, which is a short week in the Pac-12, or at least a light week as far as games go. And then a week five preview with some interesting out-of-conference matchups and some really interesting in-conference matchups. So it's going to be a really interesting week in the Pac-12. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet at us, you could do that too. A lot of you did that, at pac12podcast. You want to call or text, uh, we did a voicemail this week. We got some text messages. The number is 424-532-0678. And of course... Our website is Pac12podcast.com where you can find all of our picks, all of our um, old shows, all that kind of stuff. So everything is up there on our blog, uh, Pac12podcast.com. Hope you enjoyed your weekend, Dave. I did. I did. Kind of a chalky week in the Pac12 from a results perspective. But, man, this is a wet and wild and weird one. Just weird game Saturday night, Stanford, Oregon. Weird and fun game Friday night, USC, Washington State. I had a lot of fun. It was a great, great weekend of uh, of Pac-12 football. Yeah, there was, um, it, it was chalky, I guess, is the way you could put it. And uh, everyone, just so we'll do updates, everyone survived in our survival pool. So after that first week carnage, everyone's staying alive. Uh, Dave and I talked about it's going to be an interesting week. But Dave and, and myself, we both picked Washington, and so did Chris Fetter. So everyone advances there. But, of course, that's now one power team that you don't get to pick anymore. Uh, Adam Munster Tiger probably had the the easiest time. He picked Arizona. Uh, he was right. Um, and then uh, Jason Shear, living on the edge, picked USC and uh, got that one right. So everybody's still alive in our pool. I'm pretty glad I got USC out of the way early now. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I picked ASU the first week. You thought there'd be a team that would lose a lot of games. You you get USC, which you think would be a power team, and who knows? It could still end up being that way. We just we just don't know. We have 
uh, updated power rankings from our uh, all the publishers of the Pac-12 here in uh, in 24-7 Sports. And we also, uh, our picks from last week, Dave, I, I got the edge on you this time. I know. You went, what, three and one, and I went two and two? Three and one, two and two. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the one that we did get wrong was Arizona. And we, I think we got an angry tweet um, that, you know, we should do our homework and stuff. It's like, okay, yeah. I, was, think, th- I think that was mock anger. I could be wrong. Was it? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I generally read like actual anger as mock anger because I can't believe that people are actually getting angry about <laughs> watching a sport that they're not participating in. But maybe it was actual vitriol. I have no idea. There were, so we both picked. Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we get to the game. But, you know, Oregon State looked like they were playing at least better um, and Arizona. But now it looks like Arizona's, you know, playing they've got better every week so that's i guess that's what you want from your your new head coach all right yeah but before we jump in we got to do uh, recaps of all the games and our pack 12 roundup before we do that i want to tell you about Robinhood. it's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptos all for commission free they strive to make financial services work for everyone not just the wealthy it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence it's simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy way to digest. So I downloaded the Robinhood app to my phone. It's really easy to use. There is no cost or commission fees, and you could go to other brokerages. They'll charge up to $10 a trade. Robinhood doesn't do that. No fees are to trade stocks, and you can keep all of your profits. And it's really easy to use. It's an easy. To, there's easy to understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And Robinhood is giving our podcast of champion listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at champions.robinhood.com. That's champions, as in podcast of champions, .robinhood.com. All right, let's get into our roundup right here. Pac-12 Roundup. Oh, yeah. Are you like, there's going to be a lot of buttons for me to push in this one, man. You know know what I'm saying? I know. There's like buttons, I get it. buttons everywhere, buttons everywhere. There was buys. You got to like figure out, hey, did this team play? What's going on? Um, okay. So we have, uh, I don't know if this is good for you, Dave, or not. Um, probably a little good. We have a new number 12 team in the rankings. Oregon State Beavers. Yeah. So that's that's not so, so bueno. We already talked about them. Uh, they played. Arizona Wildcats. And they're number 10 now. So they've there've been a little movement at the bottom of the rankings. Yeah, so I adopted Oregon State last week uh, under the assumption they would win this football game. I'm not going to I'm not going to give them up. <laughs> oh. Back to foster care quite yet, but this was bad. This oh. was This looked like a defective this, product you you adopted. So this was yeah, this is return to yeah. sender. I don't know when I, I like. I don't know when the buyback guarantee is. Like, if I if I can get back within thirty days, I might I might take that option. Okay, so um, there's really not a whole lot to say about this one. Arizona walked in and just beat the crap out of Oregon State. Um, it, it was only fourteen to seven at half, but it felt like more. Um, Arizona really, really, really got it going um, defensively, kind of shockingly in this one um, because Oregon State had actually shown quite a bit offensively um, through the start of the season. But uh, Arizona won 35-14 ultimately and uh, shut down Oregon State's passing attack. Um, Connor Blount 
uh, 17 to 24 for a couple of touchdowns and 137 yards, but just not able to hit any big plays downfield. Oregon state's rushing attack was mostly kept from getting explosive plays. Um, and when they're not getting explosive plays, this offense suddenly looks a little bit pumpkin esque. Um, and Arizona ran the ball all over the field. JJ Taylor had almost 300 yards rushing. Um, I mean, it, it was, it was what you would have expected from the defensive side because Oregon State has not been good defensively this year. I was just expecting Oregon State to be able to score more points. And I, I think Arizona, maybe their defense is not quite as bad as we were thinking. Maybe they ran into an unfortunate buzzsaw with that Houston attack that's now looking like it might be one of the best offenses in the country with uh, that Bryles system stuff going on. Um, so, you know, we're, we're four games into a season and it's a small sample size sport. So you, you, you gotta probably keep the, the, you know, drastic predictions to a minimum, which is not something we do here at the podcast of champions. We like to predict boldly. (laughs) Um, but yeah, to your point from earlier, I think Arizona just, they, they, they looked better than their reputation coming into this game. And I think it does require, a little bit of reevaluation at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see this weekend. But okay, so coming into this, you now giving us crap, we were getting six and a half points to an Oregon State team that looked like they were playing well, and an Arizona team that got a win against Southern Utah, but still gave up 31 points uh, at home. And you felt like I, I understood. I mean, I felt like Dave felt like this was Oregon State was hanging with people. You know, they were hanging with, uh, you know, some of the Ohio State stuff there for a while. So you felt like they could be better, but. And we know the Arizona, you know, defense was a little bit depleted. They played, I know, remember when we talked to Jason Shear and they only had like two healthy cornerbacks? They played a lot of dime in this game. So they were finding DBs from somewhere um, and getting the play. And and one of the things, I think one of the tweets um, that they were talking about that were they were mad at us, hey, do your homework, guys. So Lathe Freak, I, I think it's Freak, but I've heard Freak pronounced too. It's F-R-I-E-K-H. Um, but he was suspended, the left tackle, uh, was suspended for the first two games. So he's been back the last two games. And, you know, are you going to put a whole lot of stock into that? that? You put up 62 points on Southern Utah? No, but obviously he made a, a huge difference in this game. The, their running attack for Arizona has got better and better every week, especially the last two weeks with him back. You mentioned J.J. Taylor, 284 yards. Gary Brightwell had 113 yards and a touchdown. He's a former slot receiver for Arizona. Uh, so it looked better. This is a team that hadn't won in Corvallis since 2009, I think it was, with uh, with Nick Foles, you know. Um, so, yes, I think it's understandable that we were going to take almost a touchdown on the road for an Arizona team that looked shaky. But they don't look as shaky anymore. And if they could actually get decent play on defense like we saw and that's against Oregon State and run the ball with authority, at least this team seems to me, Dave, like they've found an identity they're going to run the football, and it's not with Khalil Tate. Uh, he's got, I think, what does he have? He's like 34, I think he has like 34 yards all season or something. Like, it's not It's not like he's been a huge factor in that. But, um, he, you know, he got dinged up a little bit again. They kind of tugged on his injured leg. That was a little weird, if you remember seeing that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was um, dirty. And, uh, and you know, and Connor Blount, at, like, midway through the third quarter, he had like 56 yards passing or something like they were really doing nothing. He ended up with 120, whatever or something, but uh, yeah, 124 yards. It really had done nothing through most of the first three quarters of the game. So uh, really impressed with what Arizona was able to do. The real test obviously is going to come this weekend, but uh, they, they looked like Dave, that they looked like crap in the beginning. We said they were, but, but, but they've played better and, and got better the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, and I, I think to to the point from earlier, the the reason they like dominated this game. At, I mean, the, the offense was obviously good, but the reason they dominated this game was defense. So, the addition of a left tackle, yeah, okay, maybe it helped them run the ball a little bit better, but. Um, they dominated this game defensively. I do want to shout out Jamar Jefferson. Um, he's the running back for Oregon State with uh, Artavis Pierce out. He's a freshman. He looks really good. Um, they were Arizona was doing a pretty good job of getting after him, but um, he was making some stuff out of nothing at different points. Um, I think he's going to be really good. So I just right. want to give that one positive shout out after a 21-point blowout at home to a bad team. Okay. Uh, so Tate does have 32 yards rushing for the whole season. So. Uh, not so good. And Arizona did, I don't know if you saw, the, they ran a fake field goal that ended up leading to one of their earlier TDs. I think it was in the first half. So uh, kinda, yeah, kind of get things going. But they, it was working. Whatever Arizona was doing was working. 442 yards on the ground. Uh, just domination uh, in that game. Okay, so let's see. We're going to go our number 11 team. UCLA Bruins. Bruins get a bye. Move up, Dave. What do you think? I, w- I would have kept them at 12. Really? Would have done it. Yeah, I mean, Oregon State, um, <laughs> they've still shown me more this year than the Bruins. Um, uh, at least they've shown some offense in the games. At least you could make an argument that Oregon State should have already won a game. Um, well, they did win a game, but should have already won a game over an FBS opponent. Okay. So um, UCLA, you cannot make that statement for, but we'll see what happens. Okay, so number 10, we already said, was uh, Arizona. Number 11, this might be a little harsh, but we'll see. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and uh, they had to play uh, on the road, really tough one, against our number two team in the poll. Washington Huskies. <laughs> ASU was number nine, right? Uh, I'm sorry, yes, ASU is number nine. I'm sorry if I said 10. No, no, just just double checking. Um, yeah, that's a little low for me. Um, but so this game was interesting. Arizona State lost um, as expected on the road at Washington, and as we talked about, um, they covered. Uh, it was an eighteen point spread, way too many points, um, and it w- the final was Washington twenty seven twenty. It was an interesting game because it was a seven point finish that never really felt like it was in huge doubt. Um, it was, I think 27, 13 at one point, Arizona state scored pretty late. And then they, they, they kind of had the opportunity to get, get in there and tie at one point, but, um, Washington just kind of sat on them defensively for a lot of this game. Um, Manny Wilkins really couldn't get anything going at all in the past game, um, which was kind of shocking. And if you watched it, he had some opportunities like he just kept overthrowing receivers on slants it looked like he was getting I don't know it's kind of weird for to say about a senior quarterback who's obviously played as many games as he has but it looked like he was getting a little bit of happy feet where he was just not getting fully set and the ball was sailing on him a little bit uh but he finished with a but pretty abysmal stat line of 17 to 27 for 104 yards when you throw the ball nearly 30 times and you only barely get over 100 yards that's that means nothing good yeah um basically no explosive plays in the past game at all and you kind of expect that a little bit against washington secondary but at the same time you have to kill harry just throw a couple of jump balls and see what happens (laughs) just do it but i would say the one positive thing for arizona state is they were able to like do some ball control in this one because out of nowhere they they found a running game yeah Uh, you know benjamin had his first effective game of the year um, and it, it seemed like they did some new things on the offensive line. I think Casey Tucker was on the inside. 
Um, and whatever it was, they were working it. Um, and that seemed to help quite a bit, um, on the Washington side, I'm still, I I still don't know what to say about this offense. Um, I don't know if they're going to be good enough to win the PAC 12 this year. It seems like they really lack, um, they, they really lack something in that running game where it's just not clicking the way it should. Miles Gaskin is not broken out with the same kind of uh, explosive plays as he has in the past. Um, but uh, they did enough. They, they won a game at home and they, uh, they, they were able to sat, sit on a team that showed some new developments in the run game. So that's, that's not bad. Yeah. That, I think that's a good way to describe it. And if you like, so I tried to read a little bit from the uh, Arizona state perspective, like from beat writers that cover that, that team, as opposed to uh, Washington and back and forth on the Arizona state side, it was this feeling of, Everyone's working hard. You try, you know, like it's like it's a fight, but there's just mistakes that are happening, and you're just falling short. And on the Washington side, it was more of like, hey, you know, it really wasn't as close as the score indicated. Um, they were in control the entire time, kind of just doing enough, uh, you know, kind of Stanfordy, or you just like you're just doing enough yeah. to stay away. And it was weird. And you know, Arizona State got on the board first. They uh, Washington tried this trick play where you you throw it. I think it was Browning threw it to one of the receivers behind the line of scrimmage. He throws a pick, sets up uh, ASU in the uh, in the red zone, and they're up seven nothing early. So there was like that score, and then the the late score that you mentioned, but really not a lot in between. So I can get from the Washington side, it's like yeah, they had that early score after the turnover, as opposed to you know the, they gave up a score late, and that was it. Uh, both sides to me kind of ran the ball effectively, um, but it was just the the passing game on Washington side was so much better. Uh, Jake Browning had three touchdown passes. He's over 10,000 for his career, his career yardage. And, uh, you know, the, this Washington defense with uh, Byron Murphy, who's actually really good friends with Nikhil Harry, and they, you know, did a little trash talking stuff. Um, yeah. to, but they really shut him down. He had, uh, what did he have? Uh, five catches for 20 yards. He did get a 42-yard punt return that set up that late touchdown. But for, for Manny Wilkins to have, what, 140 140- like that's just bad. The longest passing play was 20. There was one 20 yard play and that was it. But for the most part, it just seemed like it was a, a running, you know, they ran the ball pretty effectively. There was only one sack in the game, you know, one pick for the Washington for Washington and Arizona turned it over once. So pretty clean and everything. It's just Washington's passing game was way better than Arizona state's passing game. Yeah. And I would say for ASU fans, I think the main takeaway from this game is probably positive um, because you probably weren't going to win this game. Um, it's on the road at a top 10 team. I mean, if you win it, wow, that's great and gangbusters. But, you know, your quarter, your passing game was probably not going to have great success against this Washington defense with that elite secondary. But to come out of this knowing that, OK, we found a way to run the ball. That's yeah. that's big. Um, I think that changes because Manny Wilkins is probably not going to have a game as bad as this again this season. Um, I think he's going to he's going to perform better. Those receivers are too good. Even if even if you're you're not super high on Manny, uh, his receivers are too good to have a game this bad again. Um, but one thing I do want to note: Manny Wilkins is he is well liked by everybody on a football field. Did you see how many times like the Washington players were just kind of like after a play he'd be he'd be slapping them on the butt or whatever, and yeah. it was just like he knew all of them. It was that was that was pretty fun to see. Um, but uh, I, I want to shout out Ben Burke Hervin. Uh, this dude was all over the place during this game. Uh, linebacker for Washington. He had 20 tackles. 
Is that a lot? Football in this football contest? Yes, that, that was yes, the first that is four games, right? Was that? Yeah, that that is that is quite a few. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I want to shout out as well. Uh, Washington knows how to close out a game. Um, the there was a little bit of an offset between the uh, play clock and the game clock and the fourth down situation. So at the end of the game, they had Jake Browning run around for a little while um, to kill the clock rather than just take a knee and punt it. Um, that's how you're supposed to close it out when there's a little bit of a difference between the uh, between the old clocks um, and and how many downs you have. You know, maybe on on third down, you run around for five seconds and then on fourth down, you run around for like six seconds. That's a you know, that's just one approach um, if you've got maybe a little bit of a difference uh, between those things. So just, you know, maybe make a note of that in the future for other teams I not, like, that we'll, that we'll maybe talk about in a little bit. I like those notes. Um, so you mentioned, uh, Ben Burr Kirvin, uh, he was mm-hmm. the PAC 12 defensive player of the week. I just got the email. Might as well read that now. JJ Taylor, who had 7,400 yards rushing, in that <laughs> game, 284 yards rushing, two touchdowns. So he was the offensive player. And then J Tufele, uh, he blocked, uh, well, we don't want to give it away, but he blocked a key, field goal and got defensive player. I mean, a uh, special teams player of the week. Um, so those are your PAC 12 cool. awards. I couldn't vote this. Like I uh, tried to vote. They like, it's a link that they send you and uh, it wouldn't like work. And I had to email their support. And then by the time I, it, like they said it was working and then the vote was closed. So no, I, mean, I, I meant to tell you, you've been fired and I'm taking over the USC site. Oh they crap. They must have not told you. <laughs> That's, yeah, very possible. There you go, Trojan fans. You've got a new publisher. <laughs> David, David Woods. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so that was our uh, our number nine team, as David mentioned. Uh, at number eight, we have Utah Utes. And uh, they they did not play, or they played a team called BYE, right? They're, no, they're done. They didn't play. <laughs> um, uh, is that BYU East? <laughs> BYU East. Extension school. Um, yeah, and I would probably have flipped ASU and Utah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I think ASU is too low at nine. I don't know. I didn't do an exact ranking this week, so I don't want to say, but I, I, I would think ASU is a little too low for this. I think I had them a little higher. It's tough, you know, when, when Utah didn't play and Arizona State loses two in a row, but you, you know, they they hung with Washington on the road. I think San Diego State was pretty good, um, but they. Just they fall a little short. They make there's some plays that could have been made, Dave, and, and change the outcomes of both of those games. Uh, we'll see. Okay, so then our number seven team, California Golden Bears, and uh, they they also were playing BYU East. So mm, nothing interesting. Yeah. So I don't know how you don't, that works. You don't often see teams play two football games in a single day anymore. Yeah. With Cal, I mean, really good defensive team. You know, they got to buy. We've seen them three times. So we'll. Uh, We'll know more about them this week, most likely. Uh, our number six team, I'm curious where you had these guys. Washington State Cougars. That feels right. I think I so. I, I don't think that's too off. Um, I mean, it's a top half. I, I like Washington State. Um, uh, the end of game was interesting for me, but I, I think they're I think they're probably they're top six. I don't know where in the top six. They could be four, five, or six for me right now. Okay, and then they uh, were on the road taking on the number, which I don't agree with, four team. USC Trojans. That feels more like a 6-7 to me right now for USC. Um, Okay, so this one was a lot of fun. Uh, USC won a bit of a thriller, 39-36 over Washington State at home. Um, 
I, I think my main takeaway from this is that Wazoo is fully legit. Um, Gardner Minshew is really, really, really good until he has his, you know, brain splashed against his helmet by Porter <laughs> Gustin at the end of a game. But he was really good for most of this. Um, and they were I, I, I thought they were just simply the better team for at least a half. Um, USC, I thought JT Daniels played really well. Um, the running attack once again, didn't get a ton going. Um, it was better, but it still wasn't great. Um, and they still only ran the ball. How many designed runs did they actually have? 22. Is that the total? Uh, I don't, let me, I'll have to look. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, 22, uh, to 26 passes. And I still think even in that you want to run the ball more than they did. Um, but Basically, watching Gardner Minshew march the ball up and down the field in this one, um, he's better, or he was better in this game, I should say, than Luke Falk was in any game last season. Um, I, I think I can say that pretty confidently, and I don't think uh, Luke Falk's senior season was his best season by any means, but Gardner Minshew has stepped into this offense more or less seamlessly, and this was probably more potent than the Washington State offense looked to me last year. Um so the end of game is what I referenced up top. Um, so Washington State was driving at the very end of this game uh, or nearly at the end of this game and um, ultimately ended up missing a field goal. But it was a weird sequence of plays um, on, I think it was the first down play. So they were driving and they had it at the USC 25 um, on first and 10 Gardner Minshew throws a pass um, and it's incomplete, but on the pass, um, he gets hit and then Porter Gustin, as Minshew's kind of falling, Gustin full on launches, leaves his feet and goes head first into Minshew's skull. Um, I, I thought it was obvious targeting, obviously on replay. Uh, they didn't even review it. And then the next two plays, he tells us later, or he told reporters later that, um, he, he called runs, but they were not like. They weren't they weren't called runs from the sideline. He checked into them and they were very clearly the bad calls. And he had not really done. He had not really made a mistake <laughs> up to that point of the yeah. game. So you have to wonder uh, just if yeah, it was, was like not, third and six and they ran. They yeah, ran the they, ball. Ra- they ran the ball on second and 10 from the USC 25 and then on third and six. And they, they ran the ball a little bit in this game and they ran the ball successfully. So it's not as if it's that crazy. But. Um, a Mike Leach offense putting the ball in the running back's hands with, you know, time down to two minutes. I, that seemed odd. And I wonder if, you know, maybe he was not necessarily feeling like he was entirely there. Um, uh, they then missed a field goal. Leach was getting criticism immediately after the game, which is why I bring it up. I, this wasn't him setting up for a field goal. I think this was a quarterback who just took a big hit to the head and, uh, then was not making great decisions on the field. Yeah. Um, they, he was like a surgeon out there a lot of the time, like early on, they tried to do a lot of the, uh, the wide receiver screen stuff near the line of scrimmage. And I thought the USC defense did a really nice job stopping that. But once he started to stretch it and, and, and throw the intermediate routes, he was just precision. And you could see USC trying to get pressure and they did. I think they only had one sack in the game from Gustin in the second half. Gustin didn't play the first half because he was out for targeting from the Texas game. Um, but you could see when USC would bring like a safety from the right side. That's where his read was then. Like he went right to where the opening oh, yeah. was. He was very, very good at that stuff. And then 
And there, but there was a couple drives um, in the four, later in the fourth quarter, like they just got stuck at 36 points and needed to, to put up more. That's the most points a Washington State team has ever put up against a USC defense. So and this is their 74th meeting. So you'd think that at some point they would have scored more than that. Um, but it was it was interesting. Like, yeah, there was a lot of weird officiating stuff. Um, there's been that way for the last couple of weeks. It's just, there's, you know, just, you know, there was so many pass interference calls on this. So Washington state got a couple of disconcerting signals where, you know, the apparently defensive linemen are saying things and trying to screw up the offensive line. But then I've heard that, well, that's what they're just calling out what they're supposed to do. I don't know, but they got called. They, they've done that for years. Washington state. Um, they used to do that and it's, it is Washington state and, I think Utah, they're the two schools that do it the most. Um, but they, I remember UCLA coaches complaining about it specifically with those two teams a lot. Okay. So I think it's part of what they do. Gotcha. And then, but there were, I think it was six or seven flags on the Washington state secondary alone, uh, four or five pass interferences and a couple of defensive holdings, like really things that extended USC drives, huge plays like third and 18, like give them a first down. I mean, there was some, and, you know, we saw, I think uh, I was actually on with um, Ryan Leaf and, uh, and and Mike Yam this morning on their their Pac-12 radio thing. And, and Ryan said they he covered the game last week for Eastern Washington and they were letting all that go. And at, at some point, they, maybe someone noticed it or whatever, they started calling it. But there was a lot. I mean, there was some blatant just pass interference all the time, just tackling guys before they get the ball. So it was I, I get it, but just, it was weird there was that many of them. And they were all these like, really important calls. But at some point, if you're like, hey, they're calling it tighter, you can't you can't do that anymore. And I'm not sure what the, the Washington State secondary was thinking, but that they bailed out USC's offense a lot on that with that stuff. Yeah, yeah I think to an extent. Um, I think they needed to trust their DBs a little bit more. I wonder how much of that was strategy, though. Um, I don't think that's a great matchup for Washington State secondary. I mean, the amount of talent that USC has at receiver. And I know... Uh, a program relatively uh, an NFL team relatively local to Washington state has made getting penalties like an integral part of the defense, you know, just penalize the Seattle Seahawks, just, just interfere every single play. They can't call it every single play. So just do it. Um, and I wonder how much of that was intentional uh, because it did seem like some of those plays were just, Oh, we're going to grab this dude. Cause I, yeah, I, I can't keep up with the Monroe St. Brown. So I'm just going to grab him right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that was at least a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the amount that I, I think that was maybe like a lack of ideal scouting because this USC offense, for whatever reason, by design, has not been able to get fools open. And it's incredibly weird with the amount of receiver talent that USC has that this this scheme, it seems like by design, they're just in the vicinity of a defender at all times. Like they're never wide open. And with the amount of speed, with the amount of playmaking ability, you would just think, oh, there's going to be a lot of guys open on like deep posts over the middle. And it just doesn't seem like that's happening in no, this offense. They're covered and these guys are making ridiculous catches. And I thought that was the biggest step forward is because like Tyler Vaughn didn't even start this game. Like, you know, he hadn't been playing well, Michael Pittman. And those guys are studs, and they actually got some chemistry with JT Daniels this time, so that helped. Um, so having oh Pitt, Pittman's Pittman's touchdown was awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like a little dump off, and he takes it fifty <laughs> yards and just runs past everybody. For a guy that big to move that fast is uh, is freaky. And he almost had a touchdown at the end of the half where he didn't get his foot in, uh, you know, or they said he didn't, and some people like I guess there was a picture that shows it, but it was, yeah, it was hard to overturn that. Like it's basically whatever call was on the field. 
uh, you were going to have to to go with that. But, you, you know, USC fans were a little frustrated because the opening drive, it was five or six runs, 80 yards, boom. And then they couldn't run for the next couple of quarters for whatever reason. They didn't try it as much. So, uh, but they brought out like the, you know, backup center, Brett Nealon as a, uh, wearing number 99 as a fullback. They used that a little bit. That was kind of effective. Um, I forgot to mention the Arizona State game. One of the reasons that they were able to keep it close, uh, I think they were 8 of 16 on third down conversions and 1 of 1 on fourth down. Washington State, same way. They were 10 of 19 total on third and fourth down conversions. They went 3 for 3 on fourth down. So, I mean, they were, they just, it was that offense. It just looked like it was, this was a group of people that were together for like years, not months you know uh that to to get to be able to play and everyone on the same page uh i was really impressed and when you look at the actual scores it was about the same because uh washington state what they missed the pat then they had to go for a two-point conversion so really that was the difference in the game usc picked up a pat uh two-point conversion uh so they scored like the same amount it's just uh, a couple weird like usc's been playing so bad on special teams a couple special teams plays go their way and uh, that was the difference in the game yeah yeah, it was a it was a fun one though, um, and yeah, I, th- I thought Washington State just generally. I was I, I probably came away more impressed with them than that was probably my main takeaway from it was just I, I thought they looked tough. Um, they looked uh, they looked like a real. I don't know if they're going to win the North, but I think they will contend. Yeah, uh, I think Clay Hilton said that afterwards that they'll they'll contend for the North. They I was really impressed with Washington State. They looked like and Kyle Bonagora was uh, in the press box. So we got to chat a lot during the game. Um, and you know, he said, you know, they hadn't played anybody, but they looked like what a good team should look like against those teams that you would play. And, and they did. And, uh, this, you know, it seems like a real, I think there can be a real contender there. That's, I know it's a heartbreaking loss, but, uh, I think you can come away feeling pretty good that, Hey, this is a, this is a pretty darn good Washington state team. And with all the stuff that happened in the off season, um, yeah, they're, they're better than we thought. Yeah. And USC, I think is, um, I, I think odds makers would probably have them as the favorite in the South still. So yeah, they're, they're talented. And hey, I want to dress up the two, like we were doing some tweets and I don't, you know, we, we make fun of Jake Browning all the time and stuff. Obviously great kid. No, uh, don't want to ever mean any disrespect. I was getting a lot of tweets of like, Oh, uh, JT Daniels. He's got an arm like Jake Browning. I was like, no, that's not. No. Um, a lot of tweets. I said that to you on the podcast last week, Ryan. <laughs> you did, and a lot of, and so I, so I tweeted something. And I, I didn't mean it to be disrespectful towards Jake Browning, but some of the throws he was making. No, I, I don't think he's got the strongest arm in the world, but it's, it's way stronger than Jake Browning's arm. And I, so I, you know, reached out <laughs> some NFL people just to make sure, and they said yes, uh, it is. But he made so, some really so, ridiculous so I throws. triggered you so hard with my Browning comment from last week that you reached out to NFL people. I respect that. I did. I respect, get, I respect like, facts. <laughs> I'm an incredible troll. Um, yeah, no, I would. I, I mean, his arm's stronger than Jake Browning for sure. Um, I, I, I think it's got some arm puntiness to it, especially on throws over the middle deep. Um, not a whole lot of rope on that. It's, 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 they, they, they could, they could bring a little bit of rain. I'm just saying that. Yeah. There no, was I, one in this game. There was one in this game that got, First, it was defensive holding, so it wasn't going to count anyway. But if the DB had hands, oh, he would have caught it. Was, it, yeah. it was arm punt city, and it, he's already been good for that. About one per game, maybe two per game so far this season. So I'm, I'm interested to see that as it develops. You are 100 percent right on that. He's had he's had some back, yeah, like he, we didn't see him really throw off his back foot a lot in high school. He now the difference is, 
I, and I don't get this. They really, the coaches have just really rolled him out there. Like he's been there for three years. Like, Hey, go win us games. And that opening drive, they ran the football, but then they got away from it. And it's really relying on JT Daniels. You're relying on your freshman quarterback to win games. And that's not what Chris Peterson does with Jake Browning. He's thrown for 10,000 yards, putting in, putting him in good spots, you know, where he has a really good game and it's for 225 yards and he's very efficient and gets three touchdowns. And uh, you didn't, you weren't relying on him to win the game for you. I think it's a different situation. So he's out there trying to win games for him. And that's, that's really not what you're asking Jake Browning to do. So there, it'd be curious to see if they were switched. I don't, yeah, I think it would be a harder uh, situation, but we'll see moving forward. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's see. That was, uh, that was number six, Washington state and number four, USC uh, sandwiched uh, in between them. We have number five, Colorado Buffalo. Uh, no, no game for Colorado. You okay with them being number five or five feels right. They're undefeated, um, but they haven't really shown a whole lot. And, Nebraska's turned out to be, whew, and Colorado State has turned out to be dog do. So um, <laughs> we we we'll see on the buffs. I think I had CU above. I think I had them at five, and I had USC down at six. I think, but I, you know, I was, was going to put Washington State ahead of USC, but I'm like, well, they just played. I can't do that. So I kind of had those moved around a little bit. But then there we have uh, basically just uh, one game left. Uh, our number uh, three team in the poll, Oregon Ducks. <laughs> Uh, took on our clear number one. This is where College Game Day was too, but not not at this place, but in Eugene. Stanford Cardinal. Okay, this was bizarre. Just a bizarre football game. All right, so Stanford won in overtime 38-31. So you're like, oh yeah, close, back and forth game. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was 24-7 to on the one-yard line Oregon driving, all they had to do was punch the ball in. So um, wait, wait. Oregon the, was at the Stanford one yard line, up twenty four to seven. In I think this was the third. Yeah, it was the third quarter, up twenty four to seven. Um, and Jalen Red had just uh, had a really weird play. Um, it was a uh, end around from the other side, and he appeared to score a touchdown, but his foot hit the pylon, and some obscure rule has it that the pylon is out of bounds and the ball is dead once you touch it. I guess unless you touch it with the ball, I, I have no idea. Um, but the ball, if you watch the replay, is at like about the one yard line when his foot hits the pylon. So you're like, oh, okay. Well, they have a first down at the one. What what bad thing could happen? Well, the bad thing that had been happening all night happened right then, which is the Oregon center who was just awful and snaps all night. I don't know if that's a common thing or if that's just that's just who he is or maybe they like that. Maybe they like the ball rolling or going over their quarterback's head, whatever. Uh, this one went over Justin Herbert's head. Um, he had actually jumped on one earlier, uh, but this one was a little bit out of his grasp and um, uh, who was it who recovered it? Uh, what's his name? I want to get it right. Where is it? Joey Alfieri. Uh, recovered the uh, fumble and ran it in for a touchdown. So it went from very, very likely 31-7, Oregon just putting this thing to bed in the third quarter, to 24-14, and damn, now we've got a game. And I want to reference something we talked about last week because you had said, you know, Oregon, maybe if they jump out early, they'll be able to um, just kind of put Stanford to bed because Stanford won't isn't built to come back. And I said, 
Well, maybe they are if David Shaw figures out that his passing attack is the team's best asset and they can just throw the ball down the field. They figured that out. Throw those really tall guys. Right. And they figured that out. And um, (laughs) once again, proved that Caden's the combination. It's not necessarily that any one of these guys is uncoverable, but the combination of running out Caden Smith, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Colby Parkinson on down after down after down when you've got whatever Caden Smith is, 6'5", J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, 6'3", but a strong 6'3", and then Colby Parkinson who's like, I don't know, 7'5". You run them out there every single down. There's no team in the country that's going to effectively cover them. Um, so David Shaw had to was forced to go to the pass in the second half in this one. Um, and miraculously, they they pulled out with the win. Um, once it got to a tie. Of, uh, so. All right. So we haven't even covered the fact that Oregon could have done much the same thing that Washington did. Um, and with their. Once they run the ball in and it's a timeout and it's like 50 seconds to go, they could just kneel it, but like, you know, kind of fool around in the backfield for five seconds and then do that on successive downs. Instead, they run CJ Verdell into the Stanford line. He reaches out for a first down. Actually, looks like he gets the first down, but while reaching out, uh, he loses the football. Stanford recovers with a little bit under a minute to go. And then again, those those big receivers prove uncoverable um, in any game situation. Well, that was the field I, goal, right? That one was that the one that led to the field goal to tie it. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's the one that led to the field goal to tie it, and then it went to overtime. And once it got to overtime, it was pretty much obvious what the Stanford strategy was going to be: just toss it up to the big guys, let them catch it, and uh, that was going to be tough to beat in overtime. But I, I mean, this is really unfortunate because I thought Oregon played a really awesome game aside from mistakes. Um, first, Justin Herbert is incredible. Um, his stat line will in no way do him justice. 26 to 33 up until like the fourth quarter, he had thrown like maybe a one incompletion two. Um, <laughs> it was insane. And they looked like the much more physical team actually for long stretches of this game. That Oregon offensive line is no joke. Um, but Stanford's receivers are tough to cover. Yeah, so you look at some of the, the Oregon. Uh, yeah, there's there's no way they should have lost this game. You look at some of the stats: uh, 524 yards for Oregon, 398 for Stanford, uh, 27 first downs for Oregon, 17 for Stanford, 82 total plays for Oregon, just 50 for Stanford, <laughs> and time of possession. Oregon had it for 36 and a half minutes with uh, Stanford only 23 and a half. But mistakes, um, and I think you know maybe forcing the hand of a David Shaw who was you know kind of stubbornly not doing stuff that was working early and then started doing it later. Uh, Oregon ended up with three turnovers in the game. Stanford didn't have any. You know, if you figure if Stanford turns it over once, they're done. Or Oregon turns it over once less, uh, they win, you know. Um, but Stanford ended up outscoring in the second half and overtime, Oregon 31-7, to despite having the ball less than eight minutes uh, in that second half. Like, it's ridiculous what they were able to do. <laughs> That's the thing. There is an explosive <laughs> offense hidden inside of Stanford. If they would just let it out, if they would just let that beautiful <laughs> offense out, there is an explosive intermediate passing attack. Like they have it in them to just march up and down the field on anybody. If David Shaw will just stop his devotion to that ogre package for one season, if they will just do that, they have the ability to put up 40 on anybody. Yeah. And we saw it there. I mean, that was 
that second half performance that now you can't do that. The hole that they had dug themselves, you can't do that without help from Oregon. Like Oregon had to help this along. And that's, what's going to feel terrible uh, with Mario Cristobal. Um, he, it, you, you know, that you had a chance and you didn't put this team away and, and, you know, bad snaps, whatever it is, anything that was going on that, I mean, could there be a bigger momentum change than, than that, that bad snap, like the most inopportune time, you got a six five quarterback. Like, just get it somewhere within his wheelhouse, and you're going to be good. Um, that it, it's baffling that this that Oregon lost this game. Like, you could have turned it. Like, what was the the you know the percentages that ESPN puts up? Like, what would it have been at that point? You know, like it, oh, it was it was ninety nine percent Oregon twice in was, this game. <laughs> at two different points, it was ninety nine percent Oregon. And like that, not even you would be late when it was like going to be impossible that you need a fumble or something, but also earlier on when, you know, you were about to punch it in from the one. So, uh, I don't know what this, I mean, you you can't feel, you you feel like this is a pretty good Oregon team. Uh, it seemed like they put a lot into this game with game day and everything, and then just didn't execute in a, in a, a way an elite team would do in, in big situations. The, the athletes came out. They played well. You saw that. You saw the talent. But you didn't necessarily see the the high-level execution that you needed to do. Some of the buttoned-up things that a, a David Shaw Stanford team or a, a Chris Peterson's you know Washington team would do. Now, give them time that you know, maybe they'll do that. But you could tell this was a very talented team that just blew such a great opportunity. Yeah, and a, a, a few other notes. Um, CJ Verdell is going to be really, really good. Um, he's already really good, but he's going to be really, really good. I liked him a lot. It's unfortunate he had that fumble at the end because I think he's going to be a special player for Oregon. Uh, Dylan Mitchell was an absolute stud in this game. Uh, he was making some tough catches. Uh, it wasn't like Stanford was covering him poorly either. Um, and in fact, they probably PI'd him quite a bit at the end. Um, and, uh, Paulson Adebo, uh, for, uh, Stanford, the cornerback, he's, he's fantastic. And, um, I, I do want to make a slightly negative note, uh, Stanford running out Cameron Scarlett as their second string running back needs to end. Uh, Trevor Spates was way better in the last game than Scarlett was when they were both trying to fill in for Bryce Love. Um, Scarlett really doesn't give him a whole lot. He runs super upright, not a whole lot of power despite his size, um, there were a couple of times where they had him in there to convert and he could not get even a yard. Uh, he had three carries for a yard, but it was kind of a critical thing. I think they had him in there to try to convert a fourth down at one point, which was insane. Um, because Bryce Love only had 19 carries in this one and you definitely want your best back out there. Um, but, uh, I think if they're going to try to get anything out of the running game, I think they need to switch up that depth chart a little bit and have Trevor Spates in there instead of Scarlett. Um, but otherwise, uh, this was a really, really fun game. It definitely lived up to getting game day. Um, I think both these teams are good, um, and I would I would watch this game over and over and over again. If they wanted to play it every week, I would watch it every single week. Yeah, I started to. I don't think the Pac-12 the 60 minute version came out. I was watching a little bit of on you know replaying it again. But I want to. I'm just going to do the whole in 60 and just watch it all all through again. I'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. That's uh that's the recap from uh from week four. Yeah, that was an exciting week in college football. Should we get to should we get to week five? I guess we should get to week five. Um, you want to tell us about our friends over at Bet DSI? I I do I do Ryan uh, because we're going to be picking games and as we just talked about 
I think we're still making people money. Is that correct? We are. Okay. Our pick totals right now, we're tied 25 wins, 10 losses, and three pushes. So we are destroying it right now. Right. So if you were picking along with us, say, on BetDSI.com, you'd be winning a lot of money. Uh, BetDSI.com has been paying winners for 20 full years. That's is that longer than I've been alive? No, no, I've I've been around a little bit longer. Um, so top rated on all betting review sites. Uh, you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. Uh, go online at betdsi.com or on their easy to use mobile site. They have the fastest payouts in the industry. You can play, win, and get paid. Uh, BetDSI offers betting options for everything. Obviously, we talk college football on this. But you can bet all major sports, including that professional football league. I forget the name of it. Uh, <laughs> NFL. Yes, uh, you, can, you can bet on politics if you can stomach it. Um, you can bet on reality TV. You can bet on esports. Virtually everything. Are you a reality TV guy, Ryan? Would my you wa- bet on Survivor here? Uh, my wife watches Big Brother. I might bet a little bit on that, you know. Or, or The Bachelor. I uh, hate I that one. Still, I'm not a big I don't watch any of it. Um, but you can bet on that here. Uh, you can try live betting. Uh, where you can bet on every play, every drive, and every score until the final whistle blows. If any of that sounds interesting, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code CHAMP18, C-H-A-M-P-1-8. First-time deposits get a 100% bonus match on your money up to $500. Uh, Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code CHAMP18 and get this limited time. 100% 100% bonus up to $500. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. All right. Well, we're going to have uh, six games to pick for weeks. We only had four, so it was a little little lighter load. Um, give Dave a chance to, to get that game back he lost. We'll see. Uh, it's cool. We're tied. We're doing, I, we're doing great. Like I, I, Our picks are awesome. You had that one undefeated week. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, there, we've been doing really good at the picks, so I'm happy about that. So, six games. We're going to start off. We have one Friday game. It is UCLA Bruins. On the road, taking on Colorado Buffalo. Yeah, a little Friday night taster. Um, You might need a palate cleanser. Uh, Friday (laughs) at 6 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. The 0-3 Bruins traveling on the road to Folsom Field to take on the 3-0 Colorado Buffaloes as a longtime Buffalo fan. Uh, this is, this is a big one for me. Um, Colorado is favored by 10 points. And this game in the preseason was looking like a UCLA minus four or five from what I remember looking at preseason. So this one has swung a long way based on results to this point. Um, from a, from like comparing this to any of UCLA's opponents, Colorado is probably most similar in, um, I, I won't say in quality, but certainly in kind of function, strong offense, eh, maybe an okay defense uh, to Oklahoma. And UCLA got their butts handed to them by Oklahoma, but obviously Colorado doesn't quite have the talent that Oklahoma has. Um, but this is still a tough spot. Um, I think UCLA should be better after a bye week. Um, I think you know, they'll probably have tried to do some tweaks offensively to generate something. I know they're already making a few tweaks on the offensive line, moving guys around, and maybe that'll end up with something like what ASU was able to accomplish at Washington, where they were able to generate a little bit more on the ground, uh, moving Andre James around, um, moving Justin Murphy around. 
I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think Colorado, um, between Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault, I think they've got a really, really good tandem to take advantage of basically any secondary. And I think UCLA's secondary is good. I don't know if it's good enough to cover a guy like that. Um, I don't know. Ten points is a lot. Um, but UCLA has lost by, I think the only game under 10 was against Cincinnati at home where they lost by nine. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with the buffs. I'm going to say Colorado 35 UCLA 21. All right. So this this is a 10 point spread, right? Yes. And it was, so the preseason UCLA was favored by significant. Yeah, it was like it was like four or five. Okay. They were going to be favored, but it was a road game, so like two touchdowns swing points. or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah, a um, good fourteen point swing. It's yeah, that's the problem. Is like UCLA hasn't really been able to keep it close. Like I, I, I felt good about some of the play, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the way Colorado's playing. I kind of think that they're going to be someone that's going to make some noise in the South, and to do that, you're probably going to beat UCLA at home after a bye week by more than ten. So I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Colorado as well, Dave. Yeah, and I wouldn't again, and I, I do want to say this: this isn't a, this isn't one I feel super confident about. I think UCLA is going to be better after a bye week. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough to to beat the spread. I think they, I, I think it could be dead set. Like I think it could be completely right, and it could be like a thirty four twenty four game. So, and uh, we uh, Devin Monster's transferring out, right? So he's not going. Yeah, so Devon Monster Devon, uh, left. I think it's Devon. I, I you know I never <laughs> asked him, and I think we pronounced it both ways. Um. Uh, yeah, he's transferring out. So UCLA is down to Dorian Thompson Robinson as the starter. Wilton Spate sounds like he's back and healthy, but it doesn't sound like he's going to start this week. Um, uh, so I guess we'll see how things go. I think they're kind of just rolling with the true freshman at this point. So they will have some depth back, um, but no monster. Okay. Um, well, all right. That's the uh, that's the Friday game. Then we go to Saturday. We have Utah Utes. On the road, taking on Washington State Cougars. All right, so this is a 3 p.m. game on the Pac-12 network. Uh, 2-1 Utah going at 3-1 and one Washington State. So this is a really interesting line. It opened Washington State minus 2. It has since moved to Utah minus 1. A road favorite over Washington State. Now, if you're going by our Pac-12 power rankings, our podcast of champions power rankings, this doesn't make any sense. No. Makes no sense. Why Why would this happen? Um, I think they're counting on Utah's defense being able to hold down this Washington State offense. Maybe they're thinking Gardner Minshew uh, did get his bell rung a little bit in that game. Maybe he's not going to be 100%. I don't know. Uh, it certainly didn't look good at the end of that game. Um, but this one still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, we just saw Washington State hold its own against USC's defense. I think Utah's defense is better. But I don't know if it's that much better. And we haven't seen Utah's offense do anything. No. So give me Washington State to win and obviously to uh, to, to beat that one-point spread. Yeah, that's a really, really weird line for me, Dave. But that, that you know, Washington State, I came away impressed with what they were able to do um, and throwing the football all over the field and, and run the ball effectively as well. Um, and you know, I thought the defense played pretty good at times besides all the pass interference stuff, but Utah's offense, we just, it just hasn't come to play yet. And I don't know going on the road up there in the Palouse and, and expecting Utah to outscore Washington state. I, I'm not seeing it. I, we'll see if that happens. If they do it, I think that's a, a great, 
it'd be great. This would be a great win for Utah because we know their schedule is really, really, really hard. Um, you know, they've already played Washington. They're going to play a hot Washington state team. We'll see. But yeah, I, I, that doesn't make much sense to me. I'm going to take the Cougs uh, getting a point at home. It uh, seems a little strange. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, this is, we have an out of conference game. There's two of them. The first one is Stanford Cardinal. And uh, you can do the sound if you want for the. That's Notre Dame. (laughs) Me put a gold. Um, That's a bad Irish accent. I should do better. That's pretty good. I'm tired. Uh, 4.30 on NBC. Uh, This is a a marquee as hell game. Uh, Number seven Stanford at number eight. Notre Dame, both teams undefeated. Uh, this one is Notre Dame opened at minus three and a half. It has moved to Notre Dame minus four and a half. So betters like Notre Dame in this game. Um, what I know about Notre Dame is they changed quarterbacks last week and it seemed to spark their offense. They went from Brandon Wimbush, who hadn't really put it together in the passing game, uh, to Ian Book who was better throwing the ball and then also ran the ball uh, pretty well, um, made better decisions overall, and that Notre Dame defense is legit. Uh, That said, this game hinges on David Shaw for me. Um, I think Stanford's receivers are a mismatch against anybody. Doesn't matter who your secondary is unless it's like a bunch of freaks who are 6'5". I just don't see anybody effectively defending this passing attack if they commit to it um, and maybe if Notre Dame jumps out to a lead, Stanford will be able to commit to it again. Um, I don't uh, four and a half feels like a lot. I don't see Stanford losing by a bunch in this one. I don't know if they win, but I could see this being a field goal swing either way. So I'll take Stanford. I'll take those four and a half points. Um, and I think they put on a good showing at Notre Dame win or lose. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I thought the, the, the quarterback change was significant for Notre Dame. Uh, I, my, my early indication, I, I wrote down, I was going to pick Stanford and then I changed my mind. So I think I'm going to go Notre Dame in this one. Um, thinking there's some David Shaw thing that happens on the road and, and Notre Dame ends up getting, uh, you know, he doesn't, he isn't going with what's working or whatever, something like that happens. And, uh, and Notre Dame wins by like a touchdown there. So, um, uh, don't feel great about it, but. It's four and a half seems a lot. The, the 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 money's moving away from Stanford. Usually trust uh, what Vegas is doing. So I'm going to take Notre Dame in this one, Dave. This will be uh, one of our different picks. Woo! Yeah, we need some of those. I, I can't um, in good conscience ever pick Brian Kelly to win anything or do well. Yeah, it's hard for me to say he's going to outcoach David Shaw too. But there's just, these are the kind of spots where like Stanford just does something kind of silly that you're like, you did everything else right, but why did you do that? You know, you mean you mean like run, say Bryce Love into a stack of nine guys like fifteen <laughs> times in this game? <laughs> Maybe because <laughs> that's probably going to happen. I'm actually counting on Stanford being down by two touchdowns in the first half. I feel like if that happens, then I'm then I'm in pretty good shape. Oh, then they'll come back. Yeah, yeah. It's just if it's a close game the whole way, I could see him. I could see Shaw just like. Suddenly he's trying to like go. No, the worst case scenario is if Stanford has like a two point lead and they just try. OK, we're just going to be Stanford. We're just going to ogre it up and we're just going to drive down the field, just running the ball. And then Notre Dame just uh, stuffs them on three straight downs and scores like that's that's the worst case scenario. But if Stanford is playing from a from a deficit, oh, they're going to win this game. They're going to win it so big. All right. Um, yeah, we'll see. And, it, you know, that's just tough. Stanford had a emotional 
road game at Oregon, and now you're going to go back on the road at Notre Dame. Uh, it, just, it just seems like that might be a tough spot. If, if Stanford comes out of this one, uh, they got to be in the playoff talk at that point. Like if they, you know, the, the games that they've won already, and if they can go on the road two two weeks in a row beating ranked teams, uh, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, and from here, the only real. Uh, I mean, there's going to be, well, I mean, from here, it's still not easy. Um, I don't think they're going to have a game this year besides maybe Oregon state at home where they are going to win it comfortably the rest of the way. Like they go at Notre Dame, then it's Utah at home. That defense is not going to be fun. Then at ASU, then Washington state at home, then at Washington, then Oregon state at home, but then at Cal, that defense. And then I guess, okay, never mind. UCLA is at the end of the season. They could probably beat the hell out of them. (laughs) All right. Um, this is uh, this is I don't we don't have a sound for it. This is not BYU East. This is actual BYU on the road at Washington Huskies. <laughs> any any sound effect I'd have for BYU right now would be like it would be I think perceived as anti Mormon, which I'm not. I love Mormon people, uh, so I'm not going to do them. Uh, it would be like knocking on the door, I guess. Like, would that be what it would? I don't know. Anyway, uh, 4.30 p.m., uh, number 20, BYU, going at number 11, Washington, in Seattle. Uh, Washington is favored by 17 points. Feels what? like a lot of points. Yep. F- feels like a lot, a lot of points for a Washington offense that hasn't looked good. And a BYU team that's shown a good ability to just play ball control. Um, I think they're able to do what ASU tried to do this past week. Just kind of hang on to the ball and uh, keep the game low scoring. And hopefully you pull one out at the end. That's kind of what they did to Wisconsin. Uh, That's kind of what they tried to do with Cal. It's what they did with Arizona, even against McNeese state last week. That was three, nothing McNeese for a long, long time. Um, And then they eventually won 30 to three, but this is not a, BYU team that wants to play a ton of possessions. They want to slow games down. And I think it's way too much to ask Washington to beat them by 17 points. I think Washington is going to win and it's going to feel a lot like the ASU game. They might only win by seven or 10, but it's going to feel like a lot more. They're never going to really be threatened. Um, but I think they're going to win this game by less than 17 points. So give me BYU in those points. Yeah, me too. Uh, this is This is, feels like a carbon copy of last week. Uh, which for millennials, you don't know what that is, but that we used to do stuff like that to like, you know, in school to make copies of things. But here's the deal. Dave, I want to ask you a question. What if BYU and Arizona State were playing on a neutral field tomorrow? What do you think the line would be? Ooh, ooh. Uh, neutral field, I think it would be mm, BYU minus two. Okay, so really close. Pick yeah. This just seems like the exact same scenario of what happened last week where you, I don't see how, I mean, yes, Washington could just go gangbusters, but that's a huge line. Like, I think 10 points would be a reasonable line in this one. 17 just seems like astronomical. Um, yeah. I, I don't get it. Uh, I think Washington's going to be the better team. I think they're going to win. Just like you said, probably comfortably, where if you look at the score, maybe it wasn't that close. But BYU does enough that it's going to be within 17 points. So I don't know. Uh, this this is another this is another weird line for me. Like this is how we do well in our picks, because especially early in the season when Vegas isn't quite 
in tune with what's going on, it seems like. And some of the stuff, you know, Vegas obviously does a really good job, but there's some that are just a little off. Like the Utah-Washington State line, that just doesn't seem right. This line just doesn't seem right. Um, and we usually kind of, we're able to, because we watch all these games, we are usually to win those ones. So, yeah, I'm with you, BYU. You said all that, and we're going to lose both of those. You realize that right now. We, dude, we're 25-10-3. and three. Like, we're doing pretty darn well. Now, <laughs> Yes. I mean, Washington could just put it all together. BYU could go on the road and lay an egg. You know, like all those things could happen. But more often than not, I would feel super comfortable taking BYU you yeah, know, yeah. 10 times out of 10. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, this next game, we got two left. We have USC Trojans. On the road, taking on no, Arizona you, you, you Wildcats. Skipped. Which one? Did you, I skipped skip? our seven, you skipped our 7 p.m. game. Is that the 7.30 game? No, our 7 p.m. game, Oregon State and Arizona State. I think you might be on something that's only showing you the ranked games, maybe. Uh, oh, oh, there's seven games. I only put, uh, that's my problem. I only put six down. There's actually seven games in the Pac-12. Oh, yeah. So oh, I am very sorry about that. Well, let's go back. There, there's, yeah, there's more games than I thought. So uh, this one, this oh, this is our Pac-12 network game. Okay, so uh, we have Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> On the road at Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right, 7 p.m. Pac-12 Network, 1-3 and three, Oregon State on the road at ASU. 2-2, two and two, but looking lively. Um, ASU is favored by 21 and one-half points. What? That's a lot of points. <laughs> Holy cow. That's that's, that's That's a whole lot of points. Um, this is another thing where I don't know if Herm Edwards is going to score. He is going to want to score that much. Like, I don't, I think they're going to be content to kind of run the ball and just end this game once they get up like 14 or 17. Um, and Oregon state, I don't think their offense is going to look as bad as it looked, uh, last week. Um, I think it was also running into just some, you know, regression a little bit, but I think they're going to be better. So I'm going to take Oregon State in those 21 and a half points. I don't think they're going to win. I think Arizona State's going to win by 14 to 17 points. But 21 and a half feels like a lot with a NFL coach who feels like he's really <laughs> he was leaning into the NFL in this uh, last week against Washington. And I, I think he's going to be content to win this game uh, comfortably, but not necessarily rub their dirt, rub, rub their noses in the dirt. Yeah, like Oregon State lost by 21 this past week. Uh, so it would have to be even worse than that. And I, I do feel like they're going to get some things going again um, and, and, you know, do a little bit better. That's a lot of points, man. Like over three touchdowns. It's tough. It's tough to do. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take Oregon state also, Dave, That's I, I don't, but I don't feel, I don't feel good about it at all. I don't know. This is tough. That's a lot. Okay. Let's go beeves And, uh, Herm wins. I think they win convincingly, but it's like like you said, two touchdown game or something, not a uh not a four touchdown blowout. Yeah. Okay. Uh sorry I I missed that one. Yeah, so there I thought I I only wrote down six games, but there's actually seven, so that's good. It got a little confusing go. with the uh the two out of conference games. Okay, so the one I incorrectly started. USC Trojan. In Tucson to take on Arizona Wildcats. Wow. 
All right. So USC traveling to Tucson at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Both teams 2-2, two and two, USC and Arizona. USC is favored by three points. Huh. This one is the one I'm going to have the most difficulty with. Um, USC still doesn't look great. Um, they didn't look great beating Washington State. Um, they looked better. They didn't look great. Uh, Arizona looked like dog do for two games. Then nobody watched their third game where they blew out Southern Utah. Let's just be honest. Nobody watched it. Not even Arizona fans. You didn't. Um, and then <laughs> beat the crap out of Oregon State. Um, I... So Arizona is uh, so Khalil Tate is a little bit one dimensional these days. What are the odds they break him out running against USC? I don't know. Um, I'm gonna. Oh God, I don't want to do it. I, you know what I want to do, but I don't want to do it because minus three feels like that feels like too few points given the talent disparity and given that all we've really seen from Arizona is beating up on Southern Utah and then a team that beat Southern Utah. Um, uh, and that's their only win. Um, I'm gonna. I'm, uh, ah, screw it. I'm taking Arizona. I'm going against my instinct. I'm taking Arizona plus three. Boo, boo. I really wanted you to pick USC again. Um, cause that's how, I, that's how I got you this last game. Okay. So here's what all you need to know. This is way, way easier for me. Uh, how many games has USC played? Uh, four. They are, Oh, and four against the spread. So, okay. There's no reason to pick them to win. I, I've, I've, I'm three and one picking against USC. Well, three and one picking the USC game this year. The only time I picked them to cover the Stanford game was wrong. Then made my decision. Okay. We'll not pick them to cover a spread for the rest of the year until they cover a spread or two. Uh, and they have so far have not. So I will feel very comfortable taking Arizona and getting three points in this one, Dave. It would be so wild if Arizona just completely salvages things and we all look so stupid for like just basically giving up on them after two games. I feel bad because I definitely was higher on Arizona to start the season, um, but I just felt like it was going to be a a better transition, a, a, a more simple, a simpler transition. And obviously it's changed. Like it's a different sort of offense. They're not doing the same things that Rich Rod was doing. But now if they can just be if they have that identity and they're a football, they're going to run the football sort of team and the threat of Khalil Tate running, you can do that every once in a while is greater than just letting him run for 150 yards a game. And you can still be effective with him throwing the football. I, I think it can work, but it just took a little while to kind of get that going. We'll see if they play well against USC, then yeah, I think they're a, a still a dark horse in the, in the South, but they, they got to play well in this game. Uh, what I saw against Oregon state was really impressive. Uh, we'll see against the better athletes. We'll see if they can keep that going. And I would say USC's run defense has been a little bit more vulnerable than people thought it would be coming into the season. Um, Arizona could get some stuff going even without Tate running. I mean, JJ Taylor can, I think can run against this defense. Um, been a little softer up front than I was expecting uh, from this USC defense. So I, th I think there's going to be opportunity there. All right. And then we got one, uh, one last game and this one should be a thriller. Oregon Ducks on the road taking on California Golden Bears. All right, so this is seven thirty as well. All these games at the same time 
which is really unfortunate. Like the two, uh, you just you've got the four thirty games, Stanford and Washington, both on the same time. Then you've got three games clustered between seven and seven uh, and seven thirty, and like what you couldn't have found an eleven a.m. game today <laughs> or on Saturday. That's just wild. Um, anyway. Uh, 7.30 on FS1, number 19, Oregon, going on the road to now-ranked number 24, California. Uh, the uh, Ryan Gorsi is going to turn out to be the most correct person in America. Uh, Oregon is a three-point road favorite. Uh, this opened as Oregon minus three and a half. Um, the question you have to ask after, after that last game is, <laughs> is there any demoralization for Oregon? Uh, cause that was a brutal way to lose a football game. Um, they, I, I think they were up for that game, you know, rocking home crowd, then going on the road at Cal and it's a spunky Cal, um, with a really good defense. I don't think they're going to have as easy a time offensively weird to say as they did against Stanford. Um, I think Cal can do more, uh, to shut down this Oregon attack. I don't think they're going to completely shut it down, but I think they can slow it down. Um, the question is whether Cal can score at all on Oregon's defense. Um, I don't know, but I think they've had some time now to think about this one. They've been getting prepped for a week, whereas uh, Oregon just played a very, very tough overtime game against uh, against Stanford. So I'm taking Cal plus three. Might take him. I'm gonna take him win. I think Cal wins this football game. Wow, nice. Uh, I've I've gone back and forth on this one a few times, but I kind of feel like. Oregon's going to come in and play pretty well and uh, and and win this one by a touchdown or so. So I'm going to go against you, Dave. I'm going to pick uh, pick the Ducks to bounce back after heartbreaking uh, performance, obviously, and, and loss uh, against the Stanford Cardinals. So I think they're going to split with the Bay Area schools and uh, and get a win here. But that that's one you got to watch. And good thing it's on during other cool games too. You know, <laughs> so you got to be at a bar and like watch them all at once. You know. Well, and the other thing is, um, uh, in that 4:30 slate, I think it might be at the same time. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, which is another matchup of top ten teams. Nice. So, what the hell? What the hell, schedulers? Yeah, come on, do something better. Yeah, come on. Jeez. All right. Well, cool. That's the week. That's our. Uh, that's our week. Should we get to some some questions? Let's get to some questions. Let's do it. I have a voicemail. You want me to play that right up? Yeah, play the voicemail. All right. Here we go. This is Chris from Corvallis checking in, just watching the USC football game versus Wazoo. Just had a quick question. Will USC hire a coaching staff for the next year? That is all, my friends. Good brothers. Have a great evening. Just checking in. Bye. So will USC hire a coaching staff? Is that... Now, I want to read that question in two different ways. First, okay. there's the obvious. Are they going to get a new coach next year? Yes. But the other one is a really snarky one. And I like it, which is they don't have one right now. So will they have one next year? Ah, I like that. Yeah, I like that one more. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? My guess is, uh, I mean, I thought the win Friday night was huge for Clay Helton. Like if they lose that game, I'm going to give you like, 80% they're getting a new coach the next year. Um, I don't think anything's going to happen during the year. We did a live show last night, Dave. And I mean, half the conversation was about who should the next coach be. So like there, a lot of the fans have already written them off. Um, but it's a done deal. We already know who it's going to be. Uh, who do you, Jack Del Rio? 
I mean, it's obviously going to be Jack Del Rio. Yeah. Um, Nothing has ever been more obvious. <laughs> it very well could it be. It makes yeah. so much sense. It makes so much sense, Trojan fans. It just does. Just it, embrace it now. <laughs> Before it happens, just embrace it now. So I think you kind of have to wait and see. I think he's coaching for his job. Is I didn't really think that before the season, but it, it the one and two start the way it was by only scoring three points and then getting blown out by you know teams that are important and you want to you want to win. You know Texas that they want those national kind of games. So I think it's you know I think he's definitely coaching for his job, and I'm not sure what the record would have to be. But if they lose like two, three more games, I think he's gone. Yeah, I think that's fair. Nice. Uh, okay. What are the, oh, we have emails. Two We're, questions. Okay. Yeah, you ready? Yeah. Which one are you going to start with? All right. This is from Hunter. Hey guys, this is Hunter Owens, a Washington state fan. How do you feel about the missed targeting call on Gardner Minshew? Cougs were the better team throughout that entire game. Was there a Los Angeles bias by the refs or are us Washington state fans just delirious? Okay. I don't think there's a Los Angeles bias. I think there's a bad refing bias. I think they're just bad. I think the PAC 12 refs are just bad. They've always been bad. Um, I thought it was a, an egregious missed call. So there was a slight, I think you could have called targeting on that one where JT Daniels was kneeling on the ground and they bumped into his head, mostly because it was obvious that he was kneeling. It wasn't a hard hit, but it was obvious that he was kneeling and you could have held up and he didn't. So that one, I would have been fine if they'd called it either way. They ended up waving off the targeting. The Porter Gustin one looked, I don't want to ever say a hit is malicious, but that was bad. He launched at the dude's head and kind of adjusted to hit. Um, and it just, it seems kind of dopey given that he was just out for a targeting call to do that in that situation. Uh, especially when the other guy was already tackling him. Um, so I, I thought it was an obvious missed targeting call. Um, he probably should, that should have been reviewed and he should have been ejected, um, by any kind of letter of understanding of that rule. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was an egregious missed call. It was right up there. What was the one last week that was really bad? Do you remember? I can't remember anything. My brain is. There was, there was a couple that should have been overturned. There was, there was a lot of, I I think I agree with Dave. There's a lot of bad calls there. Um, I think when you look at, uh, I think there was a a catch, uh, by Washington state late in the game. It looked like the ball hit the ground. They reviewed it and they, they, they confirmed that, or they didn't confirm. They just uh, kept it as a catch. But on that play, I was like, well, it kind of evened out because I think the USC defender was like grabbing the Washington State receiver. So it's like they they should have ruled it a catch, but it should have been pass interference anyway. So I, I right. so there's some weird kind of stuff that was going on there. But all like you never usually see that many pass interference flags. Um, it just didn't seem like the refs were in control of the game. And then sometimes you get oversensitive on targeting, like the Porter Gustin targeting from the Texas game didn't seem that bad. The one against... Uh, uh, Amon Ross a. Brown was horrible and wasn't called. And then they had to review it for yeah. something else and they call it. And the same thing here, like that, would that was way worse than the one that he got target, you know, thrown it right. out of Texas, but it wasn't called or reviewed. So I, I it just, it's hard for me to understand. And I would think that, I, I, I mean, I'm sure that's frustrating for the players too. Cause I'm sure like he was probably thinking that Texas one, wow, that wasn't anything. And then I'm, I'm sure he's thinking today, wow, I got away with one, um, today because that one was bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was bad. And then I thought the, I mean, as we talked about a bunch up top, I thought the two plays that followed from that. I mean, I think there's a correlation um, between getting 
just getting hit super hard in the head and then making two, you know, two of your like first bad reads of the game in the fourth quarter. Um, I think, you know, and I do want to say, I think Minshew was a little bit nervous at the end of the game. I don't think he'd ever had to play for those kind of stakes when he was at East Carolina. So he did look a little nervous late, but he wasn't making decisions like that until he got, you know, the bell rung hit. Yeah, I got his head hit pretty hard. I hate calling it bell rung because what we're really talking about is he sustained a brain injury um, at the end of the game. But yeah, I mean, he he got hit hard in the head and then he didn't make a couple of good decisions. Um, That was Hunter's question, right? Yeah, that was Hunter. Okay, cool. So we next one is Brian, I guess. He said, hey guys, your old pal, Bruin Brian here again. Please rank in order. Man, we got right. There's 10 things to rank. Holy (laughs) crap. That's a lot. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to remember the first one by the time I read the fifth one. So he said, please rank an order of what you think is most likely to least likely to happen in the next five years. Okay. So let's, when we, let's just talk about how likely it is once we read it. Okay. Do you want to do that? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Cause it's like, oh, well, number eight was blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, number one, Larry Scott is relieved, replaced as commissioner. Likely. Very likely. I think it's in likely. The next five so, years. Yeah. Yes. I think it's likely. Uh, the Pac-12 moves the championship game to Vegas or perhaps elsewhere. Very likely. Very, likely. very, very likely. Because that stadium will be opening before that. Uh, three, the Pac-12 moves its TV broadcasting location to L.A. Uh, unlikely. Unlikely. I think they're, I don't know if they own space, but they're definitely probably in some sort of, some sort of long-term lease up there. Yeah, that's like, they've already invested all this. You know, They shouldn't have, but they did. And so there we are. Uh, UCLA four UCLA Oof. wins the conference championship in the next five years. Mm. I, if they mm. weren't zero and three, I might say likely, but I'm gonna Mm-mm. go somewhat unlikely. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. Mm. I don't. I don't want to answer that question. That's <laughs> rough. Um, I mean, it has been like 32 years. Um, since Wait, what? no, that's not right. That's that's since winning the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's only been 20 years since winning the conference. So there's that. Um, that's like five times a century. That's pretty good, right? I mean, what do they have to do to win a conference? They've <laughs> got to win the South. And then they've got to, you know, they got to win the South, win like six games, you know, in some years in the South. That'll take the comp- that'll take the division. And then you got to, you know, just win one game. Eh, no, it's unlikely. Unlikely. Okay. Uh, unlikely. Poor Dave. Uh, five, the Pac-12 Moves to an eight-game conference schedule. Very unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah. yeah. It should be likely. It is not likely. Six. Here's a softball for you. Oregon State wins the conference. Sorry, Beavers. Unlikely. Very, 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 very. All right, but who has better odds of winning the conference, Oregon State or UCLA? UCLA. You tell me. Yeah, okay. First of all, Oregon State's in the north. Yeah, that's a good point. That's actually <laughs> that's actually maybe the biggest point. Um, all right, what's seven? Seven is a Pac-12 team wins the national championship. Uh, unlikely. I would go a little bit higher than unlikely, like kind of middle of the road. Like I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's. I mean, how many have the SEC or the ACC won in the last like forever? All of them. Well, yeah. besides the Big Ten. Uh, to win the actual national championship, like if if Stanford, basically it's like it's got to be like Stanford, Washington, or or USC. Is that most likely? We'll see what Oregon is able to do with Crystal Ball. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's um, tough. I, yeah, I, I would go on the. If you're looking at recruiting profiles for the last like five years, um, yeah, it's USC, Stanford, and Washington that are probably the ones most likely. 
but yeah, it would, I would be a little less than average. So a little, you know, slightly unlikely, I guess I'll go. Yeah. Uh, eight pac 12 officiating dramatically improves. Insanely unlikely, <laughs> like absolutely no chance. Yes. This is below Oregon state winning the conference. Okay. Yeah. Is that good? Uh, nine, the pac 12 network and direct TV come to an agreement was there something mm-hmm. I thought there was something I saw a blurb that the Pac-12 might be talking with AT&T again. Uh, I'm still going to go with this is unlikely. 5 years is a long time. New commissioner who maybe strikes a better deal at some point because we're saying Larry Scott will be relieved. Uh I'll say okay. a little bit better than unlikely. I'll say middle of the road. Okay. That that, that sounds fair. And then oh this must be a typo. He has SUC it's found mm. to be cheating again and is given sanctions of some kind. I'm going to go unlikely. It's a it's a compliance nightmare over there. They can't they don't do anything. So Yeah, I well and I I don't know that the NCAA is going to be too uh liberal with sanctions to USC after the kind of shit storm it caused for them. So, I would say unlikely. Yeah. He says, thanks. Keep up the great work, Brew and Brian. P.S. Please stop reading the, quote, Big Nick's self-serving and self-important introduction as if anyone listening cares who he is or what the hell from the P means. Fart on. Damn. So Some big fan. fire. Big fan. Some fire for Big Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Not a big fan. Not a big fan. All right. Uh, this is from Josh uh, about JT Daniels. Hey, Ryan and Dave, it's your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. So um, a foreign listener? Is that is that our, is that our joke? Uh, yes. I think it's a well-known truth that you can't win with an ugly quarterback. Okay. <laughs> so my question is, what is going on with JT Daniels' mustache? Uh, this is actually a great point, and I want, I want a real answer. Uh, okay. Does his girlfriend think it's cute because it is? isn't he should be better than that and usc should be a better football team if usc wants to have a successful season he needs to shave that sickly looking caterpillar off his face i do like his flow with the hair though if i was his offensive lineman i'd sure like try to block harder for him if the stash disappeared nice uh well if you saw the game uh gardner Minshew is also a uh not not the strongest stash in the world yeah but he pulls it off a little bit better i think yes uh, but the two quarterbacks, it was kind of like kind of interesting there. Now he's coming from you know from Arkansas territory, right? He's coming from uh, the Carolinas, so that's uh, oh yeah, that's okay. Um, I think I think some of it is just an attempt to because I you know I wasn't watching the broadcast; I was at the game. But apparently, if you played a drinking game, like every time they mentioned he should still be in high school or he's still a freshman, like you would be hammered, right? Um, yeah. So I think there's that's part of it. He was trying to grow. I know he was trying to grow his hair out and just, you know, look more like a college kid. So I think that's what is going on, uh, going on with him. But yeah, I, I haven't seen the, the proof of your theorem that, uh, you can't win with an ugly quarterback, but, uh, I will, I will try to look that up and see, uh, you know, where, where that all the data is on that. Yeah. I mean, there's not the obvious examples that I think go to in his favor, go in his favor. Like US, UCLA didn't win a whole lot of football games the last three years. You know, uh, true. just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, that, and there was like someone, you remember like the Wonderlick stuff and all the, uh, like NFL, um, that when you, when you're getting drafted, you go through and get asked all these ridiculous questions and, 
And some like teams would like dock a quarterback if he didn't have like a hot girlfriend because that it showed he didn't have confidence or something. Like there would all these they come up with these weird things and stuff like that. So it just goes to show you the NFL draft process is so goddamn stupid. It's so dumb. <laughs> it's so much time to take to like select guys that what's the error rate on these things? They're so bad at picking be so all high. of them. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway, uh, we had a text message. He says, Brian from Livermore heartbreak in Eugene in your eyes. What do you see is the moment or key play that lost the game? Well, I mean, obviously the, the snap over the dude's head. Um, <laughs> I think that was, that was like the worst play ever. That was, that was a key play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is it on the head coach or offensive coordinator for not putting senior sure hands at running back with less than a minute and only needing a few yards to ice the game? Or is it on the players overall? Do you think the results of the game are more that Stanford is not as strong as people think they are because they had to win it over time? Or is it more that Oregon is back and just needs to clean up a few minor things and then they will be epic next year? Last question. Is Herbert better than Costello regarding regardless of wins and losses, both in terms of NFL draft ability and college success and leadership. Well, okay. There's a lot there. Okay. Uh, we already answered most of the first part, right? Yeah. All the in-game stuff. So really let's get into, um, I think Oregon's back and going to be good this year. Um, and I don't know about next year because Justin Herbert, I, I, I mean, he looks and from all accounts is going to be hyped up as the number one pick in the draft. Um, so I don't think he's going to, be there next year no he'll, um, he's gone like yeah they were talking like people are saying if he came out this prior year with all those quarterbacks they would have picked him ahead of all of them so i've heard people say that so yeah crazy and so, he looks the part i mean he yes. looks i mean that that was like an aaron Rodgers impression at different points in that game on saturday so he's he's really good um is he better than costello regardless of wins and losses yeah i think so yeah i like kj costello i think he's good but um in terms of nfl draftability i think herbert's got a stronger arm um i think he's a more accurate thrower um and I think Costello might end up having more college success, but that's not necessarily the sign of NFL draftability. The way I see KJ Costello right now is he's like probably a little bit more talented version of Kevin Hogan. Um, and I think Justin Herbert, though, has the potential to be an NFL star. So, uh, yeah, give me Herbert and uh, NFL draftability. And, you know, I, I think college success, I think it might be Costello at the end of the day. And I don't think you're docking Stanford for getting a win like that against the ranked team on the road. You had to go to overtime. I mean, just the comeback itself was pretty impressive. But like, you know, we, like we talked about, there was probably some stubbornness going on there too. And uh, we'll see. But no, no, I came away. I was impressed with both teams. So that was me. My my big thing, the eye-opener part for me, and Hithliday will be happy with this, was that Oregon is legit. And I think they're uh, – their their physicality up front was maybe the biggest eye opener for me. Just their offensive line physicality. Um, they were beating up Stanford for a good bit of this game. Um, and if it hadn't been for a really weird fluky play, they might have blown Stanford out. Yeah, that I mean, one play goes a different way, and it could be like a three touchdown win the other side, right? Like, yeah, easy. oh yeah, a hundred percent. Which is that's football, though. <laughs> yep. 
All right, so this is uh, from our man Nick, uh, who got some hate earlier. Brew but we're Brian. gonna do it anyway. Brew and Brian, make sure you record this part, like you know, play it back <laughs> yeah, t- twice. T- take it all in, take it all in. All right, shout outs, rundown, preview, and questions from Nick. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, aka Big Nick Twenty One USC from the P. What's up, Ryan? Larry Scott, Hayton Abraham, and David Swamp People, Harlan Bigfoot, Hatcher Woods. Wow. Rundown Friday night game at the Coliseum where USC beat Washington State on a last minute field goal block. The game was a game of halves where Washington State dominated the first only to have USC come back down 13 to beat Washington State by three. Good game by USC still needs improvement. Real test coming next week. Washington State blew the game. Stanford beat Lee Corso prediction of Oregon winning the game. Great comeback by Stanford to be undefeated at uh, to be undefeated this season. Oregon is an okay team, but not the resurgence of past Oregon great teams. ASU 20, UW 27. ASU had an early lead only to blow a lead against UW. I'm not sold on UW representing the Pac-12 in major competition. ASU is coming back down to earth. Arizona 35, Oregon State 14. Arizona did as they pleased against OSU. OSU is still garbage. Arizona has some momentum next week. A big test in the early Pac-12 South. Picks for this week. Colorado over UCLA. UW versus the... I, I think he's just saying they're playing them. Uh... Uh, UW over BYU? Sure. Cal over Oregon. ASU over garbage. Oregon State. This team needs to be voted off the Pac-12 island. Uh, Washington State over Utah. Stanford, again, just V Notre Dame. Uh, Yes, they're playing. He didn't pick. He didn't make a pick. Uh, USC over Arizona, where I'll be in Tucson. Questions. What is your takeaway from the first quarter of the Pac-12 season? Um, I mean, I think the Arizona schools are very interesting. And maybe like, you know, they, they started off in different directions that I thought they would be. And maybe they've kind of come back to the mean a little bit. Like, that's interesting. Uh, as good as Stanford is, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, but it's, it's hard. We don't, you know, we, we've only had, we still haven't had a full week of Pac-12 games yet. So uh, we'll get there. But there, there's some, it's, it's coming along. It's, it's uh, not, not going the, the, the greatest you know, direction for Pac-12 because of the, you know, the loss by Washington to Auburn and stuff like that. But it, it's coming along. Yeah, I would say my takeaway is Cal and Utah's defense being super elite so far this year has been impressive uh, for both of them. Um, ASU being way better than we thought. Um, any other major takeaways? I mean, Oregon's probably a little bit better than I thought, but I thought they'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, Washington State. Washington State's been a positive surprise. I was not expecting them to be good at all this year, and they have been, and Colorado as well, uh, though we haven't really seen them against real competition yet. All Uh, right, and then what's your guys' favorite road trip in the Pac-12 as a student and or publisher? Do they differ? Huh. Um, I think the student, I was always fun to go to the Bay Area, so we just do that because that was like the weekender and just, you know. um, For like work... I mean, Seattle's cool. I like doing that. You don't get to do that as often. I like going to Boulder. I'm going to Utah for the first time, so I'll, I'll let you know how that one goes. Uh, how about you, Dave? What do you think? My favorite road trip as a student was to Seattle for a Washington game, um, mostly because the it was just really fun to party. Uh, it was with, uh, and it was when we were students, so it was like friends of mine at Washington, and we were, you know basically doing all the pregame parties Friday night and then Saturday tailgating and all that fun stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Um, as a, as a writer, uh, probably the Bay area. Um, 
it's just it's you know it's calmer it's it's more collected it's nice it's a nice little trip up the coast and then you're uh you're you're you know you're relatively close you get back pretty early the next day it's nice yeah uh i think i had some pretty good student ones at tempe too that was uh when you're a student going to tempe that's not bad not bad not bad um all right we got a well, two text messages, I guess. Uh, rewatching the USC Washington State game from Friday night. So I know that complaining about the refs is older and more played out than Olawali Batiku, but seriously, <laughs> damn, what would it take to change this crap? It feels like you could frame an entire season of The Wire around just how messed up this season is and how little the powers that be <laughs> actually care. P.S. I nominate Clay Helton to play. Jay Landsman, the fat sergeant detective who reads Jugs magazine, skates by season after season by doing whatever the bosses tell him. <laughs> I have not seen The Wire, but apparently that's funny. That is pretty funny. Okay, that's that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's ever going to get fixed. No, it's no, Never. it's just bad, and it, it's yeah. I don't think it's like we said a thousand times. It's it's just incompetence more than. If you think it's biased, I think that takes more talent and, to, and ability to be able to do that. I think it's just incompetent. So it might be really slanted towards one team one week and another team another week, but they're, I don't think they have any control over it. It's just bad. Yeah, it's just horrendous. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all we have. <laughs> that's nothing, <laughs> know, not, nothing else to say about that. It wasn't a text that was signed, so we don't know who that was from, but thank you for the text. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be like, I've sent you like a million text messages. Why don't you just save my number? And it's because we don't want to. Um, all right. This is from our man, Hithliday. <laughs> Latter day night fever. I love the puns. You always get a pun yeah. when you're reading a Hithliday email. Um, at this point in the podcast, I'm sure you boys have in predicting the BYU Washington game come to the parsimonious theory about the other Cougars that they are a solidly mediocre team that doesn't do anything particularly well or poorly. And that this explains how they'd beat an Arizona team that sucked out loud, plus a Wisconsin that secretly stinks but loses at home to Cal. The problem is, other than that game, we just don't have much to go on with Cal. They beat a bad UNC team but let them back in the game late. Beat Idaho State, but started and finished really ugly, and this week had a bye. If you haven't already, can you dive in a bit more into Cal BYU? Have you got any insights there? And what do you expect for their game against Utah at the end of the year? So he um, wants us to recap a game that happened like two weeks ago. Is that what Hitler he wants is? us? He wants us to talk about a game as if we remember it from several, <laughs> several, several days ago. Um, it's it's Monday, Hitler Day. I barely, barely remember the games I just watched two days ago. Um, all right, so my recollection of the Cal-BYU game is that Cal had a pretty good lead. Um, they were actually up. I mean, they, they shut down BYU in the first half of that game. Um, and then as they've done kind of habitually this season, they sort of let BYU back in the game late. Um, which they sort of did to Idaho State, sort of did to UNC. I think they get kind of complacent at the end of games, but I think this defense is legit. Um, and I think they're probably in the position where the offense just hasn't been good enough to keep them off the field, and so they get a little worn down late. Um, but I think basically the, they have the marks of a team that has a really good defense and a questionable offense yeah. for Cal. Um, and BYU, I think, is a team that's capable of basically keeping anything more or less to like a f uh, 
five to seven point game. Yes. Um, so I'm expecting that BYU Utah game at the end of the year to be like, uh, God, I don't know, nine to six. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Um, because I don't think either teams are going to score very well, but, um, I think, I, I think they're, BYU has been described a lot as Wisconsin light. Um, and I think that's the, what they're going for right now. They're finally playing that sort of offense where it's not, they're not wide open spread. They're just trying to pound the ball and they're trying to, uh, just maintain possession and play a real kind of big tenny style of football. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, that's going to be the order for them. I think that's what they're going to try to do all year. And I think they, they've long had the bodies for that. They get big dudes. Um, on both lines of scrimmage and it's not a it, BYU is never a fast team, but they do have size. Um, and I think if they can embrace that style of play, uh, they could be like a mini Wisconsin, mini Stanford tile style team that just kind of plays their game and beats you up and, and keeps you to a low score basically through their own offensive possession. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I, if they're yeah. like, if the BYU is in the UFC or something, they're not doing these flying back kicks and stuff. They're like, grabbing your leg and pulling you to the ground and trying to put you in an arm bar or something, just like grappling with you for the entire game. And then, you know, at the end I was like, Oh, Cal one or BYU one, it's going to be close. So that's why I think we're picking them to cover uh, against uh, Washington. And I agree with Dave at the end of the year, Utah's definitely got to find something with the offense, uh, get that going. Cause that, that game could just be, yeah. Like the Alabama LSU game from a few years ago or whatever that was. Uh, Cal, we'll see. I mean, they've only played three games ahead to buy. I think they've started to figure some offensive stuff out, right? Like they were, they were playing like three quarterbacks to begin. Um, you know, now, you know, you're, you're getting Ross Bowers out of there. Uh, so they, I think they're, it seems like their offense was in some sort of transition. We'll see if they can get that going, uh, once we're in PAC 12 play, but I, yeah, I don't really know the point of this question, but Dave answered it. So I'll answer it too. <laughs> Hit the day. This is not uh, not an A effort from you. <laughs> so he must. I think he's just upset. Oh yeah, because of the heartbreaking loss. So his his email did not include anything about Oregon losing to Stanford. Is that strange? That is strange. That is strange. Yeah. He's focused. He's he's on to BYU. BYU doesn't play Oregon this year, but he's on to BYU. Yeah. All right. I think this is our last one. Uh, Anthony. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Would you? pay pay-per-view for a college football game um i'm a sick disgusting human being so i probably would yeah i i would it would depend on especially if it was for this like if it was like i could write it off yeah i mean yeah it would be some kind of deduction it was some sort of thing like that ryan uh what do you think of clay helton's in-game polos okay i'm the worst when it comes to i could not tell you what he was wearing I don't know when people email me like, what do you think of the extra gold fleck that they put in the face mask? I'm like, what? I I, I don't notice any of that stuff. I don't, they're wearing black socks. That's a disgrace. I'm like, uh, I guess, I don't know. So I have no idea what he was wearing. So I'm sorry. I don't, did you notice that Dave? Right. So I'm not a guy who notices these things. I don't, I don't dress well. I don't, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, he wears the worst goddamn shirts I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> And maybe it's just that every shirt he wears just looks horrendous on him. He's got kind of a weird body, but oh my God, these like faint stripes that horizontal stripes, just awful. He just wears the worst shirts, just the worst 
shirts. We got Dave fired I just, up too. I like it. I just it needs to be said. It needs to be addressed. He should be asked this question until he answers it honestly. Why are you wearing those shirts? Clay? I will. I will go back and look and and. But I, I do apologize, Anthony. It's not something. And that... and I, and I, I do want to say. I mean, Steve Alford, UCLA's basketball coach, wears the worst suits, <laughs> the worst suits, and he doesn't get them tailored, and it's awful to look at. Um, he's just wearing pants that are like just parachute pants, and the like break is like halfway up his up up the sole of his foot. Like it's it's bad. It's mm. just it's bad. All right. Uh, two two coaches in LA who just whew, not Co- great. Not dressing well. Okay, and his last question was, what are your favorite cereals now or as kids growing up? Mm. Um I don't eat a whole lot of cereal. Oh. Um uh, but now if I eat cereal, it's like a, a honey nut Cheerio probably. Yeah. Um as a kid growing up, I was always partial to the cinnamon toast crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is very, very good. I don't, okay, so some people have like super, super heavy, uh, distinctive food takes, like that's the worst. It's a, and I usually don't, but like with cereals, there's like certain things that I'm like, yes. So strongest take is Fruity Pebbles is the best cereal on the planet. It is so freaking good. So I love Fruity Pebbles. Wow. It's awesome. But Cinnamon Toast Crunch is very, very good. I normally don't get those kind of things now as an adult, but I'll get like Raisin Bran or I'll get, like Honey Nut Cheerios with, I'll put, I'll put some bananas in it or something. Um, but my favorite all time is, uh, is Fruity Pebbles. I'm just not a breakfast guy. Like not a huge, uh, breakfast oh. eater. I just don't do it too often. Yeah. I, which is horrible for you, but I don't whatever. know some people say like, this is the most important meal of the day. And other people say like, that's all crap. I mean, I, I think that's all nonsense, but it's, it's never a good thing to just like, you know, not eat for like five hours at the beginning of the day. Oh, probably true. Probably not. I mean, you, you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. I've always been a like a, I I eat like almost entirely between like eleven and three, like eleven a.m. and three p.m. and then I'm just kind of done for the day too. Okay. So um, just eat an entire cow in that time. So we had four <laughs> four games to recap and seven. I thought six, but seven games to preview, and we still did hour and forty five minutes. Like I thought this was going to be like an hour long show. Like how did we do that? We're incredible. We are incredible people. We took a long time recapping, I think, because we both actually watched the games this week. Yeah, and I mean, there there were better games. Like last week, there were just so many crap <laughs> games that were just yeah. like, okay, uh, Stanford, UC Davis. Yep. All right, move on. Uh, well, this is going to be. There's some really good ones this week. Oh, we have to do our our survivor pool picks, right? Oh, right, 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 right. Good, good, good. Um, good. Okay, so looking up and down. Yeah, there's some tough ones. So big spreads are Arizona State, right? But I already picked them. I'm 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 100 picking Arizona State. You're gonna pick Arizona State, okay? I think for me, uh, I probably have to go with because I put so Washington has a big spread, but uh, I'm not gonna. I already picked them. Um, the other spreads are all tight except for Colorado, UCLA. So I'm going to go. I'm gonna roll with uh, the Buffs and take Colorado. That's scary, man. It's a little scary. That's a little bit scary because like UCLA if, does get it together. Right. Like, like how many, like who has a better roster, right? Right. And so, yeah, but I, I, I completely agree. And if I wasn't taking ASU, I'd be taking Colorado, but. Whew. 
it's that's that could be rough. You remember when you were dumping on me for picking USC first, and you're like, "What are you doing? Why are you doing this?" And Kyle Bonagura is like, "Oh, you're not playing to win or whatever." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see who we'll see who laughs last. So I'm curious who the other guys uh, end up picking. Um, but has yeah. everyone else already picked ASU? Okay, so it's only me and Jason Shear who can even pick ASU this week. So everyone else has picked, right? Okay. Yeah, and Monster Tiger has already picked ASU and Colorado. So he's got a whoa. That's gonna be tough. Monster Tiger's in trouble. He has to pick Oregon or Cal, Oregon State. Ooh, gosh, that's tough. That's really tough. Oh. Best of luck. Best of luck to him. All right. Well, we'll see what the so Dave goes with ASU. I will go with the Buffs. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up. Anything else, Dave? Nope. I'm done. All right. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Podcast of Champions. Thank you so much for tuning in, taking some time out of your day to listen to our little show. We'll be back next week recapping uh, week five and previewing week six. Thanks again. We'll talk to you then.